In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. A couple things that I just wanted to cover, Vicar was doing uh, the welcome this morning. We are looking to do our connect groups, our grow groups to start up um, after next week, and we're looking for some groups inside of Castle Rock. I think we could have two groups, and if that's something you have some interest in hosting, that would be a big help. I know we, um, we've done it in the past, but I know people are out of town and things like that, but it's something you're thinking about, and you're saying, hey, I, you're not even obligated to do that. If you're thinking about it, you can talk to me. That'd be super helpful, because I think we could have two good groups that could go on in, in Castle Rock. The uh, Highlands Ranch group that we have, because of the name, kind of the main people who normally go that are out of town for a number of weeks, that we're going to push that one back. So that one's probably going to start in October if we would kind of play it right. So it's going to start in October and just run a little bit later, the one that generally is kind of up north. So we have a lot of young couples in that group that kind of uh, meet up in Highlands Ranch. So with that, uh, we are going in a section that maybe, uh, I have not heard anyone preach on it, so I'm kind of excited about it. This is Deuteronomy 4. You should be able to read that. Even with our mega projector, it is such a dark slide that's a little bit difficult. And to do that, we're going to talk a little bit like, like we did last week about the life of uh, Joshua. Remember last week, Joshua? So Joshua gets ready for his farewell speech, and this is when the people of Israel are inside the promised land. Okay, So they, they wander uh, and I'll get to that in a second, but they finally make it inside the promised land. Joshua lives, and he's about to die, and he gives his farewell speech. And just like you would, kind of like on your deathbed, his, his call to action to the people was, uh, choose you this day who you will serve. As for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord, right? And that's, that's the conclusion. That is worth clapping about. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And so that's his final speech, but we, how do we even get to Joshua? We have to talk about a guy named Moses. And I'm going to talk a little bit longer than normal on Moses to give you some history and the history of the people to kind of see where this is all coming from. So Moses is, his life is divided into sections of 40, if you didn't know that. He lives to be 120, and I think this is super convenient, so I thank God for that. Uh-oh. There we go. I even tested it ahead of time. They're going to fix it. And then just get back to slide one, and then we'll, we'll try again. I'm going to just see if I can go backwards and forward. There we go. I should use my good, I have a different one. I'm, I'm waiting to unveil for the, the new building. So the, the, Moses' life is divided into 40 years. So if you, when you think about the Jewish people, Moses obviously is Jewish. So the nation as a whole, by the time it gets to Moses, is not very old. It's about 500 years old. That's not very old for a nation. So it's 500 years old. The children of Abraham, that's 2,000. We get to about 1,500. That's Moses. And Moses, when we think about like the Jewish people, like today, when I say I know some Jewish people, what is one of the things that kind of lingers in the back of your head? I'm guessing. The Holocaust. That's a guess, right? That kind of is in the back of your head whenever you hear about the Jewish nation. This is not the first time with Hitler and his followers in the early 40s. It's not the first time there was an attempted genocide on the Jewish people. This actually happened with Moses at his time. So they, they were really a clan of people that moved into Egypt, and over 400 years, they grow to a group of about 2 million people. So Metro Denver, I would guess, is about 3 million-ish. So it's about two-thirds of that. So imagine that amount of people it's grown to, and the Pharaoh started to get worried. And so he comes up with this plan of genocide, a moratorium on any birth of a male at that time for the Jewish people. So Moses is born during this time. We have this account in the Bible. He's born during this time. And as a mother, what would you do if they said, you, your child has to be killed? I think any mother here would try and con you know, kind of think of anything possible. Maybe you'd flee or you'd run in the night or you'd do something. And so she was pretty desperate. She hides him for a while, but eventually, I mean, imagine how difficult it is to hide a child. 
that lasts for about eight seconds, and then you're like, okay, this is not working. So she puts him in this uh, basket covered with pitch, and they send him down past, this is manipulative, past Pharaoh's daughter who had no kids. And just like a puppy, right, she sees this child and says, well, I can't, I can't kill him. The law at that time said you had to throw these boys in the Nile River, and why do you think they did that? With drinking systems and stuff like that, we would never do something like this, but to them, this was a sacrifice to their God. So they worshiped kind of two main gods. The main god, if you ever look at, the, go to the British Museum or you go anywhere, and they have, actually there's one at the, uh, not the Science Center, what do they call it here? The Museum of Science and something. There's, a, there's a, um, an Egyptian display. Their main god that they worshiped was Ra, and that's the god of the sun. Another one of the gods that they worshiped was the god who kind of handled the Nile. And for a group, this kind of makes sense, right? For a group that gets all their, uh, the things that they need from the sun and they get all their stuff from the water because the banks of the Nile had to overflow and that's how they actually got crops in the middle of the Sahara Desert. This is the only way it was possible. They worshiped these gods. So part of that worship was to take these babies and they would throw them in to sacrifice them. So you can imagine the torment. Well, Moses floats by and Pharaoh's daughter sees him and says, we, we can't kill this child. I kind of want to keep him. And then that's when Moses' sister steps in and goes, you know, I know some people that could nurse him until he's weaned and of course she takes him back to his own mother so till about three or four um, he gets to be with his own mother and then eventually for 40 years is raised up in the Egyptian household this is significant because he learns leadership and all the things that you can imagine with that but the heart of his people is still on his heart right he still thinks about his own people and at 40 years he sees his own people being mistreated and he can't handle it and he thinks no one is watching and he goes and he kills this Egyptian um, slave master but then people start to talk and he gets worried and so I'm going to jump two sections here because I stole this from the internet and for some reason they didn't have it in two different parts so I'm not happy about that so the desert years he flees to Midian he gets married during that time he's kind of a shepherd for 40 years now just kind of put this on your brain and not everyone does this and this blows my mind at 80 years old God comes to him through a special call at 80 years old, God better not call me and say, hey, i got a special mission for you. But at 80 years old, this is what happens to him. And you can imagine, at any age, the self-doubt, the worry, and wondering like, okay, I have to lead 2 million people out of this country. Like, how is that even going to happen? So God is with them, and as you know, he sends this devastating plagues, which on a side note, just think about some of those plagues. One of those plagues, the one that was, uh, was turning the Nile River, their own God, into blood, and one of the plagues that ended it, the second one before the end, was complete darkness. So now they're, they're saying, you know, your God, Ra, your God, watch this, and boom, in the middle of the day, it's completely dark. And you can imagine them recognizing again and again that God has the power. So this is Moses. He's 80 years old. He's leading these people out in the desert. And uh, the years of delivery, the, the intent was that they were going to go straight into the promised land that they had left. That was the intent. But through disobedience, God says, not a single, and unbelief really, not a single one of you is going to enter the promised land except Caleb and Joshua. That's it. And so all of you are going to die. And you can imagine, and if you do the funerals on two million people, I mean, how many that is a day. I used to know the math on that. Um, but it's a whole lot of funerals just waiting and waiting and waiting for everyone to die until it's down to Joshua and Caleb. Not even Moses gets to enter the promised land. So that makes his heart hurt. He longed to do it. And you could imagine that, right? We know what it's like to wander. We're setting up a takedown for multiple years. And I could imagine if for 40 years we worked on a building and then all I could do is sit on the back of that construction fence and then I'm knowing I'm going to die before you all move into there. That would be like, oh, 
That's how Moses felt. Like, here's the promised land. He wanted to go in. And so I bring that up because all of Deuteronomy is kind of his farewell speech. He's getting ready to send the people off, and Joshua's going to take over. And now here is a summary of what God has said. And we pick it up. At, today we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, the wording's a little bit weird because it's like a covenant, right? They're making this agreement between God and the people. And he says, this is the things you need to know. So we pick this up in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And I want to talk a little bit more about where they were at as a nation so you understand the significance of this. So we think about like the Revolutionary War. Alexander Hamilton was a really popular musical. Some of you, I'm sure, went to see it when it was in Denver. Some went to Vegas. Uh, So if you have seen this, it's amazing, but we're learning about like the beginning of our country and like all, they had kind of a template, right? They are free people. They're looking at what the British did and they're going, eh, we should tweak this and do this. So we write the Constitution and we think this is really a good Constitution. Benjamin Franklin himself said like, this is the best of its kind. But how many amendments do we have? Now, amendment sounds like a real official word if you're a kid. You're like, oh, it's just the amendments. What does an amendment mean? That means there, there was a problem with the original. So now you amend it and amend it and amend it 27 times. This, this is when we had a template. Now, imagine the people. The people of Israel are 500 years old, the Jewish people. But really, they went into Egypt as a clan of people. right? It's just one guy's humongous family, and they grow into a nation. And in that time, are they learning how to have their own courts and governments. and It's like a 60-year-old guy living in his parents' basement, and now he's on his own. And that's what it is like. The people of Israel are like, what do we do? And that's, so much of the things that God told Moses during this 40 years of wandering is he tells them how to function as human beings. He says, this is how you're going to worship. These are the commands that you have to know. This is when you're going to have festivals. This is what your calendar is going to look like. Here's what your court systems looks like. Here's how you're going to treat people. And the people are going like, okay, I, yeah, I guess. And this is how you're going to treat a foreigner. And this is how you're going to handle debt. And this is, how you're going to, uh, this is what you're going to do with your money. And this is, like, all this is going around the, this brand new nation, brand new rules, and God laid them out. There's in a single amendment, right? So this is perfect. And so Moses gives it to the people, and that's kind of where we pick it up. Moses is getting ready to die. And he's kind of summarizing this. Deuteronomy chapter 4, we'll go through um, the whole thing, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about three things. Adding to God's word, subtracting to God's word, and then wisdom. Okay? So now Israel heard the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Now hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land of the Lord, the God of your ancestors is giving you. Do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it. But keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. So did the people keep the commands? I, I don't want to break up, you know, I don't want to destroy the story. Did the Israelite people follow the commands? At all. No, they didn't, right? They make these promises that they're going to follow the commands. Oh, yes, and they, they go back and forth. And later on in Deuteronomy, they're like, will you do this? And they're like, yes, we will do this. Will you press these on your kids? Yes, we will press them on their kids. They didn't do any of it. And so when you follow the people, the Jewish people, it's just a story again and again of God's mercy and them, their disobedience. And we see that prophet after prophet, Hosea and Micah and Malachi. Why are they there? Why is Jeremiah there? Why are they talking? Because they didn't follow the rules. How do we have a section where we talk like for nine Sundays in a row or something on Nehemiah? Because they disobeyed and they got swept away and they had to come back and rebuild the town. Why? Because they disobeyed. God actually made a promise to them. If you follow my commands, this is, don't add to them, don't subtract. If you follow my commands... Your shoes aren't going to wear out. 
You're going to be blessed physically. No nation will overtake you. This is, all you have to do is follow my commands. And they go, oh, I'm in. But they don't do it once. And then we have the period of the judges and all this coming back and back around. But moving on, he says, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering and take possession of it. He made a promise. You will take complete possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear all these things and decrees and say, Surely, this, is, this great nation is wise and understanding. Remember, all these nations kind of did as they saw fit. They made up their own rules, and now here come the Israelites, and they do everything a little bit differently. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees? And laws, as this body of laws I am setting before you today. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart. And he's talking about remembering how God took them out of Egypt and then crossing the Red Sea and, and fleeing from Pharaoh. As long as you live, teach them to your children and their children after them. Now, O Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you, so I'm going back. Follow them so that you may live and may go and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. And this is the part I want to look at. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it. So adding some subtracting, we always think about that. Like who adds to the commands? It, historically, when you think about the Bible, who added to the commands of God's word? There's like one group of people, and whenever you hear it, it's like the villain sound. Dun, dun, dun. The Pharisees are the ones who added to the. And the reason they did that, they were actually really pious people, just like you and me. So their desire was, that if this is good, if I get even stricter, that's better. Right? It's impossible. For example, there's people that do that today, but it's in the Bible, you should not get drunk. But if you never drink alcohol, it's impossible to get drunk. I don't know if you knew that. Right? That's impossible, right? And some people do that with dancing, right? So when I grew up, there's a really conservative um, college that was uh, near us, and they had a rule that you could not dance. Like make physical contact while you're men and women together. You could not do this. And why did they do that? They didn't want these couples to get intimacy and then have sex. And it's impossible, I don't know if you know this as well, to have sex if you don't make physical contact. Impossible. So this is one of the rules they did so that you didn't actually break the actual rules. So the question I have is, are there times that we add to the commands of God? I think there is. Anytime you add to a relationship is when you see yourself kind of on the same plane. So if you and I are on the same plane and you are generous with me, it's really easy for me to come up with rules that I think are really good, right? I'm going to, like, let's say you're doing something at work. You do something a little bit extra. You think my boss should notice that because I'm doing something a little bit extra and I should get recognized for that. Maybe you're at home and in your mind you say, well, it was their turn to take out the garbage. I took out the garbage. They should recognize that and they kind of owe me a little something and now I feel better about myself because they're in my debt. You know how good it feels when people are in your debt? How many of you like to feel like you're indebted to someone else? Anybody have like a car loan and you're like, yes. No, I mean, you know how good it feels when that's finally off? How many of you owe your parents something? You know how good it feels when that's finally paid off? When any of those bills are done, anytime you owe someone, that's what it says in the Bible, that the one who, the debtor becomes the servant of the lender, like this, the slave. It's this worse, awful feeling, and that's how grace functions. And the way that we try and take away some of that pain, I think, as human beings, is we say, okay, what if I do a little bit extra? God's got to shine on me a little bit more. 
And it works like this in human relationships. So a friend of mine, we just went to 105 West. So it's like, what would the pastor talk about? He talked about sex and beer today. That's it. So I went and had a beer with my friend, and unbeknownst to me, I was trying to thank him, and I was going to pay, right? That's how you thank people. You pay for it. So I went up there, and they're like, oh, your friend got it. I'm like, what? Double indebtedness? So instead of being thankful that he paid for it, I was frustrated because I owed him in the first place, and I was trying to kind of even it out a little bit, you know, like, because, you know, multiple hours of work is worth $6, you know, like, that's what, that would have been even Stephen, and instead he covered me. So next time we went, what do you think I did? Like a ninja, I snuck in there and I covered the beer because I just want this to be a little bit even. So I don't want to be indebted to him. You know how you understand grace, and we, we, we say, uh, we, want, we don't really want to owe God. The only way you can understand grace, I think, is when you understand how atrocious you really are. I think the only under, way you can understand God is if you understand that we fall to his feet in mercy, that we don't deserve to be in his presence, and that he is holy and we have wronged him. So I'm going to give you an example. Imagine you've got a friend. This friend's a guy. You've got a, fr- a guy friend. And you find out that he's lost his job. He has no job. Okay, so that, you're like, ooh. What happens if you find out your friend that his wife left him? Okay, so now your heart goes out. You find out that your uh, friend is sick. And you're like, what happens if you find out he, your friend's daughter died in a car accident? What happens if you find out like he had to be foreclosed on his house, right? Your heart is going out to this person. Now, and eventually he goes to prison because he was staking money from work. You know, like all of this is happening and you're like, oh. But how do you feel if you knew you were the one who made that all happen? Like, how do you feel in that relationship if you said, I am the one who arranged an affair? How do you feel when you know you're the one who was driving the car that killed his daughter? How do you feel if you were the one who was actually stealing money from work and your friend is the one who went to prison? Like, you stole his stuff, you killed his daughter, you arranged it so his wife is gone and he has no money. Now, 15 years later, he gets out of prison. Would you want to talk to him? But what happens when he sees you and says, I missed you so much, that's what I missed in prison, is I didn't get to hang out with you. Come here, I want to be by you. That's grace. And when you understand as a human being all the things we've done to God, that we are the one who killed his son through our own sin, we are the one who rebelled, we are the one that steals from God with our money and how we hoarded ourselves. He gives us money and we steal it. We're the ones that steal our time from him. We're the one that, as, and that's what he calls adultery, right? That's how he compares it. When you are worshiping another God, he always compares it to adultery, like you have gone and sold yourselves. Now you understand just a little bit, just a little bit of what God is saying. We can't add to that relationship, right? We're not on the same plane. Instead, we just in mercy say, God, this is what you say you want, and I'm okay with that. I'm not going to add anything to it. But what about the subtract part? He says, don't add or subtract, just just keep the commands, right? What about the subtract? Just keep these commands. The subtract part, I think, is a little bit easier to understand because if you could, I'll give you one example. This is Israel. They're, remember, they're all pumped up and said, hey, we're not going to subtract anything from it. So now imagine you have this brand new nation and you're just getting on your feet and you're wandering in the desert and this is one of the commands. This is kind of long. It's at least three slides. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to the fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been 
proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. However, there is need to be no poor, however, there need be no poor people among you. For in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. God's going to take care of you. Don't worry about it. If only you fully obey your God, right? If you follow this, God's saying, don't worry. I'm going to take care of you. And be careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has proclaimed his promised and will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations but none will rule. What is, what's his whole point? If anyone, no one is going to rule over them. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns in the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Could you imagine that actual law happening and functioning in the United States? What if we just said, here's the rule. I, you know, get a brand new president. They're like, okay, every seven years, all debt is canceled. That sounds awesome if you owe somebody, but how does that feel if people owe you money? So how well do you think the Israelites followed this command? I would say F minus. They didn't want to do it. And there are certain commands that when you think about them in practice, you're like, mm, I don't think so. So my question to you is, what commands would that be? When you think about all of God's commands, which ones would you want to kind of red line veto? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Uh, serve as God has served you. Uh, wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. How's that one feel? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, which means you're willing to die for your spouse. God says, give generously to his mission in his church. Is that the one that rubs you wrong? What about gossiping? What about having sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend? Is that, is that it? I think all of us are unique human beings, and what that means is we see God's commands. There are some that are no big deal. They are not hard to follow, but there are some when God says, I don't want you to do this, we just say, hmm. And maybe one of those is just like the people of Israel helping poor people. If we had it, maybe that's the one you would just kind of cross out. Let's talk about wisdom here for a second. God is saying, I don't want you to take any of these from me. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. Wisdom is a different and a weird kind of animal, and as we're talking about things that we, we do not want to cut out. And I can explain what God has in mind when he says, I don't want you to cut these things out, even though we want to. How many of you have... Um, worked with someone and they, they need help, right? Does anyone help people out? And they say, all right, I need your help. Can you, and you go, okay, here's what you got to do. Has this happened to you? And you give advice. Guys do this all the time. Like, uh, if someone is talking to you and you're like, I've got a plan. This is what we do, right? We give you plans. This is, and so maybe someone says to you, I really want to be good at X, Y, Z. And you go, all right, I've got a plan. This is what you do. It's a new person at work. And they're like, I don't get this computer thing. And you're like, okay, there's five steps. You know, turn on the computer, log in, go to this site, do this, and next, right? And you're like, we're good, right? And you come back and they're like, I hate this job. Your plan is the stupidest thing I've ever heard and this computer's terrible. And you're like, okay. And you're, you're in the middle of trying to help them out, you're like, wait a second. Did you do the five steps? Did you do like one, two, three, four, five? And they're like, no, four seemed to, you know, that seemed kind of dumb. I teach guys how to start churches just by chance. This is kind of how it works. They come to my... And we talk through, and we talk through plans, and there's maybe like a hundred things we talk about. There's a guy who went to start a church, and he was having trouble, and his mission board was kind of blaming me 
Because something I told him, I'm like, well, what is he doing? And when they told me what he's doing, I'm like, he took like the 10 worst things I told him and used those and didn't do anything else. Like if you just took the top three, you'd be okay. Instead, he went to the bottom and took all those. You ever give people advice on like a diet? They're like, ah, I don't know why I keep gaining weight. You're like, okay, here's the plan, right? And they have this plan laid out. And then they're like, okay, we're going to do, let's just say we're going to go... ketosis or something, or we're going to do gluten-free or something like that. So they go through and you're like, wow, you've done it all week and you've seen no results. We're like, well, I kind of had a hamburger on Tuesday and then I didn't do that. Or they're doing intermittent fasting and you're like, okay, this, there's, this is pretty precise. You've got to do this and this. And then they don't follow it. Does anyone ever, has that ever happened to you? What about saving money? You ever have someone that just overspends their money and you're like, okay, you know what you need to do is just cut your credit cards out. Just don't use credit cards. And then you find out later, you're like, use credit cards? Well, yeah, I use credit cards because I get 1% back. That's the equivalent of like 250 bucks a year. This is unnecessary to ruin your life. What does this mean? This is what God is saying. Wisdom works like this. It's in three phases. It's like going to a restaurant. I'll give you an example that way. When you tell people essential things, that's what God is telling us, right? Don't add, don't subtract, but show your wisdom by following these commands. It works like this. If I recommend a restaurant, okay, you're looking at a place to eat and I say you should go to this restaurant, and then I'd say, order this. And then, then you order the wrong thing, of course. And then they're like, I don't know why it wasn't any good. But. So you go to this restaurant, and I say, order whatever you want. It's all good. That's part of wisdom, right? Someone is giving, you're hearing this, and you're going, this is wise advice. This is what we do as parents to our kids all the time, right? Your, parents, your kids come, and you go, let me give you some sage wisdom. And then you tell them, and you're like, now they've heard it, right? It's a different step, though, when it gets intellectualized. So when I searched out wisdom... It's kind of like this. Many people think wisdom is just understanding what you're supposed to do. Like, that's wisdom, right? Like, someone told me that, now I understand it. So we'd go back to example number one. You did five things to log into your computer, and you're like, oh, I get it, because this is this, and this, and this is this, right? Or someone understands a diet. They're like, oh, I get it. Or someone understands an exercise program. They do this, this, this. Someone understands saving, and you're like, this is what you do. We're not going to use credit cards. We're going to save up, and at the end of the month, you will have money left over, and we'll put that in the bank. There's a savings account for a reason, right? This is where we're going to put it. Deal? Deal. What do you think's missing in this picture? I just pulled this from the internet. When they start talking wisdom, everything on here is just simply knowing. And I think God's biggest worry is that on, we know his commands on an intellectual level. God's told us his commands, and we understand these on an intellectual level. And I'll give you a couple examples. God says, I want you to keep your marriage bed pure except for marriage, right? That's it. We understand that cognitively, but there's a whole different thing from when you experience that. And this is a big deal. So when, let's just talk through a simple thing. Uh, Knowing, cognitively understanding, and now you experience it. So let me give you something simple before I start talking God's word. You probably told your whole life to save money, right? You've been told your whole life to save money. And you're supposed to do this. Every one of us knows this. You go to sit down. I was like in second grade or something. Someone's saying, if you save with compounding interest and, and somehow you put in 12 cents and you have a million dollars when you retire, that's what's supposed to happen. Nobody does it until it's kind of, you kind of feel like too late, all right? No, it, maybe they do. Maybe you, some of you are ultra-responsible. I'm not going to make eye contact with anyone. But nobody does this until they're like, oh, man, I better catch up, right? And then you're like, oh, This is what they mean, like if I would have saved my money earlier. But have you ever been to a point where you feel like I'm saving money for retirement and how good that feels? 
Ever got to the end of a budget and you look in the bank and you have money left over and you're like, this is what it feels like. You ever have trouble sleeping and you follow someone's advice and then suddenly after a month you're like, that kind of worked. You ever get on a diet and someone says, do this, this, and this, and you do it and then you're like, oh yeah, whatever, whatever. And then suddenly you're like, huh, I do feel better. I did sleep better. I do have money in the bank. I, I know all these things. This is experiencing. And so when God is talking to us in this section in Deuteronomy, he says, don't add to my word. You know, you don't have to add to it because Christ has done it all. Do not subtract from it. And that means even the hard commands. Because God says, I want you to experience, and this is how Jesus says it in John, I want you to experience and have life to the full. Do you know what that means? Even the hard stuff. So we always long to hear and experience God's grace. You do that. We also experience who God is by following his commands and seeing what a life to the full means. How beautiful is a marriage where there's no affairs happening and they just love each other. How beautiful, when you experience that, how awesome is that? Some of you had bad relationships before, but have you been in a new one where you're like, how wonderful, how wonderful is it to be in a place where you don't gossip at work? You don't have to always wonder if someone's talking in the corner, they're talking about you. How, how good does that feel? How good does it feel the first time you said, I'm going to give generously to the Lord through trust and just kind of push that over and how your heart wells within you when you know, like, God, you're doing something with your money besides just spending on yourself. How good does it feel when you're not talking about other people? How good does it feel when you say, I'm going to set aside my own needs to serve somebody else? How good does that feel? How good does it feel to be in a relationship with a group of people that says, I, we're, we're going to care about these people? What does that feel like? God wants you to have life and have it to the full. So he says, don't add and don't subtract. And even the hard commands, I want you to experience this. I made you, I formed you, I understand you, and I want you to experience this already on this earth. So he says to the people, observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. Decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great? as the other people see that and experience this, as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws that this body of laws I'm setting before you today, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen and let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to the children after them. Biggest covenant we've ever made as a group of people is the Constitution. It's got 27 amendments. You can do that to God's word, but when you do that, you miss out on the fullness of what God has given you. Understand and feel his grace and know that grace through Christ, but understand and feel what it feels like to follow God completely and see how he blesses you in this life. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you give us a call to action, and sometimes that's intimidating. There's lots of commands. We just simply don't want to follow we're scared to follow them, many of them. We think that our, our, our life is going to kind of unravel, but instead you have laid it out. You built us. You understand how we're formed. Help us experience the joy of your commands. Help us experience the joy of um, thinking of others ahead of ourselves, loving our spouse the way that we should, loving our children the way that we can and do through you and experience what it's like to give generously of our time and our effort and our money and to see what kind of life that leads to, not just intellectually, uh, not just knowing, but instead knowing by doing. We ask this in your name. Amen.